0: Now, it is the Christmas season. When I was younger, in fourth grade, we, we had our, our Christmas ordeal. We, we ripped through all the presents. My parents gave us a, a lot of presents that year. And so like any child, I felt it was a good Christmas because I got a ton of stuff. And I was so thrilled and so excited. And then mom and dad said the words that all kids long to hear there's one more. Because you look at it and you see your hall, you know, and you get all excited because you already thought Christmas was great. You didn't even have to practice your present face and it all was great. And then they say, uno mas, there's one more. And so I was very excited. There then proceeded to be a riddle. We had to work a puzzle To figure out where this present was and then we had to put on cold weather clothes because indiana is actually cold and uh and then we had to bundle up and then we went for a walk around the block to find out stashed in a friend's garage were a new pair of bikes for my younger brother and i and we were elated it was one of the best christmases ever because my parents got us this gigantic, unexpected, fantastic gift. They went all out. Now, I actually think back to that Christmas frequently because I dream about my kids having a similar reaction. You know, I want to get them something that is going to land just right so that when they receive it, they almost have that explosive joy. Um, Last night, Megan made like a chicken pot pie deal, and like August was over the moon. Like every single bite, he was almost laughing because it was so good. I want that reaction times 10 at Christmas time because we got something that fit them just right, and they were so excited to get it. See, Christmas is largely about remembering, right? So we've all had these experiences, good or bad experiences, and they shape what we desire from the season. So since our past impacts our expectations for the future, we then change what we're doing now so that that future can be attained. Okay, you tracking with me? Our past impacts what we dream about and expect from the future. And because we have those dreams, we change what we're doing now so that we can realize those dreams. Psalm 126.1, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. There is this healthy tension, right, between what has been and what is to come that hits our present reality. As a culture, the original meaning of Christmas has largely been lost, but I can guess we are at a church. Many of you do value that Jesus did come that many number of years ago, so that's not really what I'm going for here, but I think we, those sitting in this room, those who are Christians, we might have lost sight of that second advent. Do we still dream and anticipate what or who? is coming back and the real question is what happens if we dream again what happens if we dream again when the lord restored the fortunes of zion we were like those who dream would you pray with me lord i thank you very much that we are able to approach your word to get into it to see you and to see what you have for us lord bring up our level of excitement Lift up our eyes above the here and now. Let us dream, work on our hearts, and let us see you. In your name we pray, amen. Okay, so we are going to start today in Isaiah chapter 61. Thank you, Sarah, for reading it so eloquently. We are going to jump to Isaiah chapter 61, and we are going to start in verse 1. Now, what this is, if you will, this is the memory, okay? This is going to be what we are remembering. Isaiah 61, it's the thing that happened long ago that has the potential to incite dreams. Now, as you're going, let's put ourselves in their context. Israel is God's covenant people, and he's been loyal to them, and he's cared for them, and he has chased after them for a very, very long time. Israel, on the other hand, has done just the opposite. They have been disloyal. They have run from God. They have chased after other gods and other people to kind of get their fix, to help them cope on the day-to-day. God has been speaking through Isaiah, and he's telling them judgment is coming. Judgment is coming for how you have lived. The nation will be attacked. The nation will be devastated. But... There's hope, okay? Isaiah 61, one through four. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Isaiah is giving voice to the servant Messiah. At this point, Israel is looking for what is coming, what is going to save them, what is going to help them, what is going to bring them out of the muck and the mire that they are presently sitting in. And Isaiah says, there is a servant Messiah who is coming. And so the servant Messiah is speaking here. First person, spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Lord has anointed me. In the Old Testament, the only places that we see the spirit of the Lord upon somebody and them claiming that they are anointed is when Saul and David were made kings. This is not an accidental reflection of the same thing. This is a claim of kingship. This is a claim from the kingdom. The servant, Messiah, would be king. Wow, well, what's the king going to do? He is going to bring good news to the poor. The good news in the New Testament is translated gospel, euangelion, He is going to bring the gospel. The king would bring the gospel. Well, what is the gospel? Great question. The servant Messiah continues to answer. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall rise up, raise up, The former devastations, they shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. The good news is that everything was about to be flipped on its head. Everything that was normal for Israel was about to be changed. It was night and day. Right now, Israel's present life was one under attack. The future and the present were dark. It was gloomy. They were the brokenhearted. They were the ones in mourning, both at their actions and their plight. Their situation was horrible. And yet, Isaiah, God speaking to Isaiah and through Isaiah says, it's not gonna stay like this. The servant Messiah is coming and he is going to turn. Everything that you expect, everything that is just how things are, it's coming and it will be flipped. He is going to make all things new. He doesn't just come and make this issue, this declaration, this, these words to the poor as those who don't have a lot of money. It is both the physically poor and the spiritually poor Because Israel represented that. It is a holistic gospel call that is going to come to everybody who is in need. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Have you sufficiently heard and felt what this might be like To someone that sees no end in sight, nothing positive coming, and God says, wait, there is still good coming. I have not forgotten you. I am going to make all things new. Well, good. So let's add now that feeling. Let's add the judgment that did come. Let's add the fact that they almost were entirely wiped out as a people. Let's add to that that God was silent with them after the judgment that came even later for about 400 years. Talk about yearning. How now, what, what are your feelings about that prophecy now? For some, the prophecy was too good to be true. It was too good to be true. It never came. They were promised it, and it hadn't shown up. So, they went with the flow of the culture, and they ignored it. You know, because it's easier to sing about the spirit of Christmas or make movies that celebrate Santa and the belief in him than hoping for something more, right? The group of Israelites chose to stop remembering. For others the other group, the prophecy became like that sweet Christmas bike for them. It was that fond memory that they latched onto that impacted them today, and they dreamed. They dreamed of what will happen when it comes, and they yearned for it, and they anticipated it, and they waited for For it, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Jesus came on that first Christmas, and he began the great inbreaking of the kingdom. All things that God said would come through the Messiah, they started to break in. All of that newness, that wholeness, that shalom, it was here. It had started. Jesus walked around. For three years, bringing that shalom through his ministry, he bound up the brokenhearted. He raised the dead. He comforted those who mourned. He bound or he he helped heal or healed those who were physically and spiritually maligned. The prophecy was coming true before their eyes. The whole of the New Testament, specifically the Gospels, tells this story of these prophecies coming true. And everybody who was at that time, who hadn't given up on what they were remembering, that prophecy from hundreds of years before, they were so excited. And then Jesus died. Jesus died. I know that it's Christmas and all, But the reality of Christmas is Jesus came to die. His birth was the beginning of the end. He came to restore his people. And the only way that he could do that was to defeat sin and death. And the only way to defeat sin and death was to sacrifice himself, was to die and be raised again. See, Christ had a bigger goal in mind. He came to die. So the dream, okay, this prophecy that was told long ago of this coming Messiah, it was made a reality. The Christ child was born and then it went from reality back to dream state again because he left and he said, I'm coming back. This makes Christmas a really weird time for Christians. On one hand, we know why we celebrate we know why those shepherds have heard those angels on high. We know that the prophecies came true and the Christ child arrived. The advent was realized. On the other hand, we have the second advent that we are waiting for. We look at the effects of sin and death in our world, in our lives. All you have to do is mention Harvey to anybody in Houston, and we all know the effects. We all know the effects of sin and death. And we look at that and we say, come thou long expected Jesus. We are eagerly awaiting him to come back, to make all things new. And we hope and we dream. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. So what happens? What happens when we dream. Let's go back to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 61. Isaiah mentions a few other things that occur when the Messiah comes. Verse six, but you shall be called the priests of the Lord. They shall speak of you as the ministers of our God. Notice that it says this by way of a collective. It doesn't say, okay, you individual, you individual, you will be a pastor, you will hold that office, you will be a minister, only you. No, it speaks of it as a people. The collective community would be known as ministers, as priests. There's a change that is being promised in the future for the people of the Messiah. Go to verse ten. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My shoal my my shoal, my soul shall exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation, he has covered me with the robe of righteousness. Look, look how the person, the recipient of God's favor, reacts they rejoice. They praise God, but they're not rejoicing and praising God because they've accomplished anything. They are rejoicing and praising because the Messiah, the servant, the Savior has come and made all things new. He has brought them out of where they are. Notice it says, he's clothed me with the garments of salvation. Salvation, taking someone from a place of of death, of pain, of destruction, and moving them to a safe place. But he doesn't stop there. He doesn't just say, we were saved from a bad place and put in a not bad place. He then says, he has covered me with the robe of righteousness He has taken this person, these people, and moved them from a place that was awful, not just to a place that was okay, but to a place that was good, that was healthy, that was known by its righteousness. You've heard it before here. It's not what we were just saved from. It was what we were saved for. There is salvation For the followers of this Messiah that he will bring about and his call and his gift to them is righteousness. That sounds hard. I know what my daily life looks like. That sounds hard. It goes on. He's covered me with a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress. And as a bride adorns herself with her jewels, for as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. I love this phrase. I love this phrase because salvation was already dependent on a Savior who was going to come, the servant Messiah who was going to bring it about. But then the righteousness that he promises for his followers, it will also be caused by the Messiah. Why? Because Jesus isn't just something to hope in. He is our hope. He is our hope. He is our peace. He doesn't just bring it. He is it. And he will cause it in the lives of those who follow him. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Because Jesus has come, okay, first advent, that's the, let's, we'll say the past, the remembering, because Jesus has come, first advent. And because he is coming again, second advent, the dream, our fortunes are already restored. We, because of both the past that we remember and the future that we dream about, we get to live new restored lives today. We get to live in righteousness and praise because he is going to cause it to come about in us who are following him through his Holy Spirit. This is what he does, this is what he has promised us. So, how do we go about that? How do we live righteously? We reflect him, we reflect him. We see how he flipped the world on its head, and we get to emulate that. We seek to serve, not to rule. We look to love others, not to take. We aim to forgive and to give grace, not demand our way. We bind up the brokenhearted. We seek out justice. We comfort those who mourn. We point to Jesus as the one who is sufficient for all things because he is sufficient. He is worthy. God's call to us to live righteously is not just an on Sunday thing. It's not just something we think about right here in the hour that we meet on a Sunday morning. God has more for us. God is calling us to more. I was talking to a friend the other day about church, and I was talking about how frequently we as pastors are asked, well, so how do I go about following Jesus? And and some people, when they ask, it's, it's, a, it's a really good question. It's a genuine question. And there is like, please tell me how, because I'm really not sure. How do I go about this living righteously? And he said, you know, it's interesting because we actually set up our church services in such a way to set up a framework so people know how they can live during the week. What, what's, what are the aspects of the service? Well, we praise God. Okay. Our week should involve some praising of God. We pray to God. We come into his presence and we seek his face. That should be throughout our week. We study God's word. We get inside this to know him more because the written word reveals the living word, Jesus Christ. We get to know him more. As we do on a Sunday, we should do throughout the week. Coming up in a bit we confess. We actually confess to God how we are broken and how we need him. That should capture our whole week. And so when we look at this call that God has promised us that the past impacts the dream of the future and the dream for the future impacts our day-to-day right now so that we can see that newness and that reality come, how do we live righteously? You can kind of go through some of the aspects of our service. Moves through it by yourself, in a community, with your loop group. Seek after God's face, because that's what He's called for us. It's not limited to Sunday, but it's for every day of the week. And then what's the second thing that we see in verse 10? We're going to rejoice. God has called us to rejoice. How can we make the dream become a reality today? We rejoice. We praise God for what he's done. See, he's in control, so he really should get the glory. We praise God for what he's going to do. Why? Well, because he is in control and he will get the glory. That's who he is. We pray. How is prayer rejoicing? Well, when you get to God's face and you humble yourself and you say, Lord, I need you, there is an immediate recognition of who's in control, who's in charge, not you. And who's not, that's you. And we rejoice because he is the one who has the power and the ability to move, to save, and to make all things new. And we pray to him, we rejoice because this is who he is. We sing out to his name because he is good, he is glorious, he is gracious, and he is great. Jesus has come, and is making all things new. For us today, that memory, that memory in the past, drives us to dream. Jesus is coming back for us. That dream drives us to live righteously and to rejoice. So the question here today, where does Jesus want you to live like those who dream? Where does Jesus want you to live like those who dream? This Advent season, we are leading from the sermon into a time of reflection. When we see what God is calling us to, he invites us to respond in many ways. And band, if you want to make your way up, you can. Scripture says in Romans chapter 13, verse 12, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. At some point, as we are getting into God's word, we see what he is calling us to. We are confronted with ourselves. What is dark, what does not look like him? Maybe in your day-to-day, you have forgotten what Christ has done. You live moving forward, carrying by your own strength. And you need to confess that to God. Lord, I have forgotten. I have forgotten what you have done for me and I lean on you. Maybe you have forgotten that he's coming again, that he actually has already set into motion all things that are new. I don't want to put in your mouth, what the Lord is doing in you. But we want to make sure that we have space to reflect. So as the band plays quietly, I am going to just have a moment of silence on stage for you to reflect and say, Lord, where are you working in me? What does it look like, Lord, today, if I start dreaming again? If I live in that tension between what has come and what is to come. And then I'll step back up here in a moment to introduce Communion.
1: You're the Lord of light, shining in the dark. You're the source of life, beating in my heart. You're the living hope, you're the risen Christ. You restore my soul, oh, you brought me back to life. Your glory awakens my soul. You give me grace and mercy, I give you control, and like a river of life in a dry land. Like a flicker of sight to the blind man I saw the glorious light as it broken? Got a mercy in mind Oh, you brought me back to life You're the Lord of light Shining in the dark You're the source of life Beating in my heart You're the living hope You're the risen Christ You restore my soul Oh, you brought me back to life the grave You pulled me from the water and free from my chains Would you all stand and sing that with us? You are the resurrection You conquered the grave You pulled me from the water free from my chains and risen to live like a river of life in a dry land like a flicker of sight to a blind man i saw the glorious light as it broken god of mercy and might oh you brought me back to life you're the lord of life Shining in the dark You're the source of life Beating in my heart You're the living hope You're the risen Christ You restore my soul Oh, you brought me back to life You brought me back
0: can take a seat. God has brought us from death to life. He is in the business of making all things new. Every week here at Neartown Church, we participate in communion. We don't participate because it's just something we do. We value this. We value this because as Christians, this is our celebration that we have gone from death to life, and we get to drink him in deeply. For those who are helping serve communion, if you can come up, this is our time in the service for believers where we rejoice in what God has done. If you have not yet come to Christ and crossed over that line of faith, allow the elements to pass by you. If the elements come to you, first of all, grab them with two hands. They are not light. Let them come to you. Take the elements. And you will take them individually. Reflect what has God done in you. What is he causing you to dream in again? Lord, we thank you for what you are doing. Thank you for the life you have given us. In your name we pray, amen.